Our first scripture reading is from the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. Listen for God's word to you today. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Do not rob the poor because they are poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord pleads their cause and despoils of life those who despoil them. Our psalm is the 125th. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time on and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, so that the righteous may not scratch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their own crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. From the letter of James in the second chapter. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is, not the ri- is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith, by itself, if it has no works, is dead. 
From the Gospel of Mark in the 7th chapter, verses 24 to 37. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay hands on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The book of Proverbs is among what we call the Bible's wisdom literature. It's a collection of wise sayings, such as, the village elders would gather the young men and women of the village to impart this wisdom. It is meant to guide the recipient to a more moral life, but not just for their own benefit, for the benefit of society. See, the Proverbs aren't worried so much just about one's personal character, the Proverbs are concerned with forming a wise community. Now, as a whole, the book of Proverbs ultimately warns against foolishness of all kinds. And here in the 22nd chapter, we see that part of that foolishness that it decries is the mistreatment of the poor. Now, Proverbs, by and large, is predicated on the same worldview that we find in Job, the same worldview that in some places and some hearts continues today, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. If bad stuff is happening to you, clearly you must have done something to deserve it. And if good stuff is happening to you, clearly you did something to deserve that too. It has this idea that God rewards good and punishes bad. But as we have discussed with that particular worldview in recent months, it really doesn't stand up to what we know 
to be true by our own experience. That sometimes good things happen to very bad people and bad things happen to very good people. But at times, Proverbs does look like it's suggesting that if one is wealthy, it's because God is really happy with that person. And that if someone is poor, that God is maybe not so happy with that person. And we want that to be the way the world works. We want people to get what's coming to them, good or bad. We want to be able to look at a poor person and claim that they did it to themselves, somehow, some way. That may be partly true for some, but it's rarely the whole truth, and it's certainly not the truth for everyone. We know from experience that that worldview is not quite how the world really works. Proverbs also joins the rest of the Bible in denouncing practices that take advantage of the poor. There are all kinds of passages throughout the Bible that talk about how the poor are to be treated and many specifics about how the, the poor are not to be treated. We find it in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, in the Covenant Code, in the Prophets. Oh yeah, and that guy, Jesus, whoever that was. In fact, Jim Wallace, who many of you have probably read, he's a contemporary ethics and theology writer. He and his friends, one day when they were in seminary, decided that they were going to go through the Bible and find every passage they could find that, had, that spoke directly to the plight of the poor and how the poor are to be treated. They found thousands and thousands of verses. They found that 10% of the Gospels talks about how to treat the poor and how not to treat the poor. One verse in seven just in the Gospel of Luke it has been suggested that had Jim Wallace and his friends removed all of those verses, that the Bible would be very scanty indeed and would not hold together very well. Unfortunately, poverty is one of those places where, in particular, the Reformation did us no favors. The idea of the Protestant work ethic the nose to the grindstone, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Work hard and you will prosper. If you fail to work hard, you're going to fail. It introduced the idea of the worthy poor and the unworthy poor. Now, not surprisingly, the worthy poor are people who used to be rich and had fallen on hard times. The unworthy poor are the ones who didn't have any better sense than to be born poor. Perhaps the unworthy poor are the ones who are just too lazy to get themselves out of poverty. That's where we are today. There is a very real sense in our nation and in other nations around the world 
that the poor don't deserve to not be poor. In the last months of his life, Martin Luther King Jr. shifted his focus from the civil rights movement, from civil rights for African Americans in particular, and started a campaign he called the Poor People's Campaign. He didn't get very far along that campaign before he was assassinated. But last year, Reverend Dr. William Barber picked up where King left off and he relaunched the Poor People's Campaign. How many of you heard about it? It did not make the national news. That should tell you a great deal about how we look at the poor. It didn't make the news. I saw three hands say that they had heard something about it. The only reason I heard anything about it was because I have friends who participated in that campaign. Friends who were arrested in the Capitol building for their demonstrations. And still, didn't make the news. Why didn't it make the broadcast news? The poor are not worth our time. And they're not worth our time on a pretty big scale. People in state houses and in Washington seem to put out monthly statements about the unworthiness of the poor. We can't keep paying Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and SNAP and CHIP, let alone that we can pay for a whole lot of other nonsense. There's an attempt seemingly every other day to take away whatever safety net people have using the specious argument that government assistance merely enables people to be poor. I got news for you. Nobody is happy about being poor. Got more news for you. The poor work a whole lot harder and are a whole lot better and more careful with the resources they do have than most of us. And yet another piece of news. Even with unemployment at its lowest in a long, long time, people are still poor. People who are working are still poor. Foolishness. Foolishness that Proverbs warns us against is the foolishness of a society where the wealthy exploit the poor. Once again, the Bible shows us what a healthy society is and is not. And the drum that it beats is don't take advantage of the poor. God advocates actively for the poor, standing up against the unjust rich. Of course, we have a rather strange definition of unjust these days. It's considered to be just to take money from the bottom half of society, but it's somehow unjust to take money from the wealthy, presumably because they earned it. But ultimately, there's only so much to go around. There are only so many dollars in society 
only so much that can be printed without devaluing what we already have. It is a finite resource, and it's being skimmed right off the top, at the top. The vast majority of it is not coming to the, to the poor. It's not coming to the workers. No matter how hard any of the non-wealthy work, there's only so much going around. And we seem to be okay with this. Even those of us who ourselves are shortchanged by this system. The government is gleefully removing all regulations that were put in place to protect ordinary citizens just trying to make it in life. Gleefully ensuring that the rich, the wealthy, the people at the very top get to keep everything they feel like keeping. Because you don't have to invest in your workers. Just make sure that after you get your obscene salary, your shareholders get their profit. I've heard interviews with executives that have some of these insanely large salaries and they readily admit they don't need the money. It's not about the money for them. It's about having more than the next person. They just want it. They want to keep it. It's one of the most destructive forms of greed because it actively exploits the poor. And it prevents the poor from being able to actively participate in the rest of society. This is what the Bible tells us. Time and again in the prophets, there have been judgments passed against Israel and Judah when they behaved this way toward the poor and the vulnerable, the oppressed. Despite his attitude about the worthy and unworthy poor, Calvin was no fan of the, the wealthy. John Calvin called them inflamed and covetous, unable to be satisfied, and claimed that they grieved if the sun shines on the poor. Sounds a lot like what I hear from some of the more conservative billionaires in our country. Jesus warns us, James warns us against showing partiality to the rich. But our whole society is predicated on such partiality. But James, James goes a little further than just warning us. James says, it is not it is not possible to claim the faith of Jesus and discriminate against the poor. You can have one or the other, but you cannot have both. And it's not just about how we treat the poor, because in this we degrade ourselves as well. The whole of society suffers when the poor are not cared for. If we are to be a wise society, the Bible tells us that we must put aside the foolishness of ignoring the plight of the poor. 
The attitude prevalent in our country that some are so undeserving of a better life that they will forego a better life for their own selves, just so long as somebody who doesn't deserve it doesn't get any betterment either. To me, that sounds a lot like cutting off your nose despite your face. Height of folly. Proverbs calls us to be good people, but Proverbs also calls us to be good citizens. If we have influence in public life, Proverbs wants us to exert that influence in the wisdom of God, especially where the rich and the poor and the gap between them are concerned. And in a democracy, we all have such influence to make sure that the poor are cared for, as long as we at least vote. Scripture encourages us to use our influence to make sure that the poor are cared for. After all, what good is a government that doesn't take care of its people? But we human beings are awfully insecure. We feel the need to establish status and worth for some over against the others. We have to somehow make sure that we are not like them, them being the poor, the infirm, the orphaned, the mentally ill, the alien. We have to make sure that they are not like us. That is not the way God created us. God created us to be in community, to look out for one another, to support one another. The entire second half of the Ten Commandments is all about God's justice for the neighbor. In God's beloved community, rich and poor are not at odds with each other. Rich and poor do not compete, do not exploit one another. In the beloved community, rich and poor are united to work together to see that everyone has that which they need for a decent, dignified life. To build a stable, healthy society together with mutuality in the marketplace, with economic parity, with protection for the most vulnerable. That is the gospel, God's own justice. So for the love of God and the love of Jesus, consider your own influence and use it to protect the people that God calls us to protect. Use that influence to ensure that our nation deals with everyone, rich and poor, justly. To demand a dignified life for all. That's what Proverbs teaches us to do. It's what James admonishes us to do. It's what the gospel calls us to do. For our health and well-being and for the glory of God. Always. Amen. Oh,